deserves our praise. That's right. You know, the Bible tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. Everything that we are, we are to worship and love him. So when we sing this next song, that's what we want to do. We want to praise the Lord because he is here with us today. Here we go. You can be seated, please, as we continue. Nothing but the power of God's blood that sets us free.
Amen. Well, it's so good to see you in the Lord's house today. Wow. Boy, the church has such an incredibly good spirit today. I don't know whether the sun has something to do with it or not outside, but uh, we know that the Son of God has something to do with it. Amen. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere and pull out one of those little black friendship folders. And if you'll be so kind to put your name on that and pass it over to a person near you, uh, we'll appreciate that this morning. We thank you so much for doing that. Uh, you know, May is a transition month, and uh, this is graduations and parties and all this, and we're getting ready for, uh, to face summer, which I define as June, July, and August. And uh, the way we do that every year is we have what we call a um, prayer emphasis, summer prayer emphasis, because, you know, <clears throat> summer is a disconnected time. And what we want to do as a church is we want to keep our focus. Uh, we want to keep our focus on the Lord. We want to keep our focus on the ministry here of the church. And we're going to be involved in all kind of things. So next week, we'll have our summer prayer emphasis form. And we'll be asking as many people as possible to sign up, to commit themselves, to pray over that list June, July, and August. And uh, we're not going to lay down and uh, try to just squeak through the summer. Uh, we want to face summer with all the energy and strength that the Lord will give us. Uh, and uh, I know that you'll want to participate in that because you do uh, each year do that. And we always like to recruit new prayers uh, for that effort. So that's next Sunday. Okay, some of you have heard that Ira and Billy Jean Siebold... Uh, they are moving to Virginia. We're a little bit we're de a little bit depressed over it. We're trying not to be. Uh, and uh, but we're this this I think is Ira's last Sunday in his class. But he's gonna he's gonna be coming and going, and we're gonna have a time to say to hug and say goodbye in a more official way in the days ahead. So so uh, just keep that in the back of your mind, and uh, we'll send them on to their new place in Virginia. Uh, with our blessings. Uh, well, actually, we'll call them our missionaries to Virginia. How's that? And uh, I know he'll certainly be a missionary down there. So just keep that also in the back of your mind, and uh, we'll be doing that in a number of weeks. I don't know exactly when. Let's stand together as our ushers uh, come forward this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day which you've given to us and we pray now that you will move among us, Lord, even at offering time. Uh, Lord, you provided so much for us and now we come to provide for your church. Uh, we pray that you will pour out upon us the spirit of generosity today. Uh, help us to give because of what you've first of all given to us uh, and uh, the love that we have for you and the ministry right here on top of the hill. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
reaches to the heavens your faithfulness stretches to the sky your righteousness is like the mighty mountains your justice flows like the ocean's tide I will lift my high voice to
Let's open our Bibles today, please. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. And uh, let me give you a clue where it's, where it's at in the Old Testament. If you get to the end of the Old Testament, start turning back toward the front of the Bible. Go slowly because it's a small book. Jonah chapter 2 for this morning. Actually, we want to begin reading in the last verse of Jonah chapter 1. And I'd like to talk to you this morning about God's not finished with Jonah. After we uh, got through Jonah chapter 1 last week, uh, you were probably scratching your head and saying, well, maybe God is through with Jonah, but uh, look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah was on the ride of his life, chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, you might have thought that this was going to happen. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you, now this is interesting right here, for you cast me into the deep. Remember last week the sailors were on the boat and they were going like uh, one, two, see you, Jonah, three. Uh, and uh, Jonah wasn't holding uh, this against them. He was crediting his exit from the boat uh, with God. Uh, and for you cast me into the deep, in you, and referring to the Lord, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. When Jonah was riding uh, on his journey here in the, um, the sea, in the fish's belly, there was something in him that had still faith in God. And uh, he knew that somehow God was going to get him back uh, to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. It's kind of graphic, isn't it? I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth was with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up, my life up, from the pit. Now, I've underlined the word up in my Bible because, you know, last week we were talking about Jonah going down, 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 and now things have changed. He's turned the corner. He's on the way back up again. Uh, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. I also underlined this because... Uh, this is important. He remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regarded worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Uh, Jonah's really turning his life around right here. Uh, he's ready to go back to God. He's ready to do all the things that he should have done the first time around. 
but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I wish that wouldn't have been so graphic right there. I wish it was said he exited him or he extracted him. Anyway, the fish got rid of Jonah on dry land. You know, I've been having such a great time studying the book of Jonah because I've read it over and over and over again. And every time I read it over, uh, it, um, it says something new to me. You know, that's the way the Bible works for us. You know, no matter how many years you're reading the Bible, there's always something new and exciting and fresh. Uh, it's like, oh, I never saw that before. How many times have you said that recently? I never saw that before. Uh, wh why didn't I see that? Well, that's the way I am right now in the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was a prophet of God. And what was a prophet? He was an intermediary, a spokesman, the mouthpiece of God. Every time I think of the word prophet, I think of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God at various times and in various ways spoke in time past under the fathers by the prophets. Uh, this is one of God's main means of communication. He lays his hand upon a person, gives them a message, and he says, now go tell it. It's from me through you to the people who will hear you. Now, they weren't very successful people. Uh, in fact, the book of Isaiah says, remember Isaiah in chapter 53, he says, who, uh, who has believed my report? <laughs> he was wondering if anybody believed his report. And so Jonah was already a seasoned prophet when God called him to go to Nineveh. And remember, if you were here last week, remember Jonah runs from God. Remember that? God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He headed off the wrong direction on purpose. Sometimes we go in the wrong direction by accident. He did it on purpose. And God, in chapter 1, showed his patience to Jonah. Uh, God is patient. In fact, one of the words that, to describe God quite often in the Bible is long-suffering. That means God suffers long with us. He, he works with us. He gives, he's patient with us. He doesn't come down and like hit us on the head with a club and say, where are you going? He kind of works us more easily. And so rather than walking away from Jonah, he decides to discipline him, the wayward prophet. Uh, he says, listen, I'm not finished with Jonah yet. So in Jonah chapter 1, you can write this above chapter 1, Jonah run, runs from God. Chapter 2, Jonah runs to God. And there God shows his power in chapter 2. You know, when you run to God, God will show his power to you. You know, it's not a difficult thing for God to prepare a great fish, you know that? Um, even if that fish was a special creation, because there's always this little debate, hey, what kind of fish? Have you ever heard that? What kind of fish was it, you know? And somebody says, oh, the whales are too small, and this is too big. And Well, you know, God who created the world could create like any kind of fish he wanted, amen? I mean, he's not hindered. He doesn't have to work through the things that he's already made. And so there was a story of a whaler named James Bartley in 1891 reportedly fell into the sea while harpooning a, a whale. 
When the whale was killed and dissected, he was found in the whale's stomach, unconscious but alive. While some have argued that the incident was carefully investigated and true, the the widow of the ship's captain denied that it ever happened. It may be questioned if the story of James Bartley is true or not, but certainly the story of Jonah is true because... Now, you ready? Because Jesus said it was true. And everything that we believe on in the church is predicated on what Jesus said. Amen? He is God. He is the eternal one. Matthew eleven forty says this. Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, listen, I remember Jonah? Matthew 16, 4, he says this, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so Jesus was pretty dogmatic when he was referring to Jonah. Jonah's a real person. He took a, he took a ride in a real fish, and it lasted for three days and three nights. Um, and God has this power to not only uh, move men and women, but he has this power to move uh, his creation as well. Remember the ravens furnished Elijah's table. The lions were tame and quiet while Daniel was in the lion's den. The fire couldn't hurt the believers that were in the fiery furnace of the sea. The sea opened up for the nation of Israel leaving Egypt. And when Pharaoh and his chariots got in there, it closed up. God has this power to uh, just make things happen, doesn't he? Well, this story is a good story for us today because, uh, you know, whenever God wants somebody to do something uh, and that person doesn't want to do something and oftentimes we fit into that category, how does God handle that? Well, he works with us. He tries to work things out. Now, in this chapter, chapter 2, Jonah's prayer incorporates many phrases and figures of speech from the Psalms. Now, I didn't know that. But, you know, if you keep reading enough, you'll learn a few things. And, uh, you know, and I, I read about his prayer here uh, to the Lord. And then I looked at my Bible, and the editor of this particular Bible has different references here. Psalm 31, Psalm 88, Psalm 16. And so what's happening here is... Jonah is in the belly of this fish. He's praying to God, and he has some of the psalms hidden in his heart. Now, follow me. Some of the psalms hidden in his heart. And so he's praying these things back to God that are fresh in his mind. That's the best kind of prayer that you can pray, the Word of God. For instance, look at verse number 7 in your Bible. Follow along. Now, Psalms 18.6 says this, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. Psalm 18.6. Verse number 3, look there. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Psalm 42.7. Verse number 4. 
For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. So Jonah is in this fish. There's no Bible. There's no light to read anything. Of course, there's nothing to read. But he has these words of God in his mind. And uh, he's pulling them out now and he's using them. Colossians 3.16 is a, uh, something that relates to this. Let's read this together this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, the first part is particularly applicable. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. This means that uh, the writer here says, listen, we want the word of Christ in us. We want to be filled with the words of Christ, the Bible. And so here's Jonah on his journey in the fish's belly, and he has the words of the Lord in his mind. And so he picks one here and he picks one here, and they are impregnated in his mind as he prays them back to God. He relies upon them for strength. I've often thought of John McCain. John McCain, the former uh, candidate for president, was a war hero. In October of 1967, while on a bombing mission over Hanoi, he was shot down seriously injured, captured by the North Vietnamese. He was a prisoner of war until 1973. Now, this is a long time. 1967, 1973. McCain experienced episodes of torture, and he refused an out-of-sequence early return to this country that was offered to him his... Uh, war wounds left him with lifelong physical limitations. And if, if you remember when he was running for president he, and he would try to raise his arms, he could only get them up so high he was physically impaired. I often wondered uh, about people like him that were incarcerated and tortured and made to stay in solitary confinement and things like that. How did they keep their sanity? How could they, how could they keep their sanity? And I thought if a person had enough of the scriptures, because the scriptures do so much for you when you quote them, have you, have you noticed that? Uh, they are so strengthening. They are so powerful in your life. You could just keep going over those life-giving words of God in your mind. Remember Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, How can a young man cleanse his way? By giving heed according to the word of God. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so uh, that's what Jonah's doing right here. He's in the belly of the whale. He's relying upon these scriptures that he has received. And uh, they are filtering through his mind and he's praying them back to God. In the first six verses of chapter 2, we have Jonah's despair. Uh, you know, despair is a good motivator. You know that? How many times have you made a real good decision when you were in desperation? Don't raise your hand. 
I know you have. A lot of times, some of the best decisions I've ever made in my life was at a desperate time in my life. And so here's Jonah, and he's pretty desperate. He's underwater. He has seaweeds wrapped around his head. He's sinking to the bottom of the sea. But, you know, whenever he uh, got in over his head, he knew what to do, and he, know, he knew where to go. And he said here in verse number 2, he was in Sheol. You ever heard that word? Sheol was a place of the residence of the dead, the underworld. And um, it was often used literally, you know, when people died, they said, well, they went to Sheol, they went to the underworld. But Jonah was using it in, a, uh, in an exaggerative way, and he's saying, I was as good as dead. I guess you would think that if you were in the belly of a fish, right? I mean, you might as well be ready to call the undertaker quickly. And so he said, I was in Sheol. In other words, what that meant, he was as good as dead. Have you ever said that of yourself? You know, I'm just as good as dead. Well, that's Jonah right here. But you know, whenever God saw him in this condition, he was disciplining him. He was helping, trying to bring him back because God does great things through the desperate times in our life. He really does. Jonah didn't know what he was getting into when he ran away from the presence of the Lord. But now God is working with him. And he says, and he realizes that now, that this is God's work in my life. He said, these are your, you threw me overboard in verse number three. These uh, waves out there, they belong to you. And in chapter two, I, I counted at least four times uh, a reference to prayer. Jonah became a praying machine whenever he got in this condition. You know, I wonder in our life how, how much it would take for us to become praying machines. Uh, what type of a situation would it have to take, uh, our life would it have to look like? Well, from chapter, or excuse me, verse 7 through 9, we have Jonah's rededication. Let's look at it. Uh, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Now, that's rededication. And my prayer went up to him into his holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. That's rededication. Lord, I'll do now whatever you want me to do. Sometimes God allows things to take place in our life that brings us back to the point of rededication. I believe in rededication. You might say, well, you know, I've done that two or three times. Well, that, that's okay. That's okay. Because most of us need to be rededicated every now and then in our life. Because we have this easy way of being distracted. You know that? We're on track. We're focused in on the Lord. And then all of a sudden something happens. We just go off here like this on a side road. And uh, we, we get distracted easily. And so Jonah, he was of his own volition, headed in the wrong direction. Uh, but now God's got his attention. Uh, God is allowing this to happen to him to get his attention. And so Jonah finally comes to his, this place in his life that there is only one hope for him, and that is God. And he makes this incredible statement, salvation is of the Lord. And what that meant is there was nothing that he could do to contribute to his own salvation. 
Uh, we can't save ourselves, can we? We can't even partially save ourselves. Salvation is a person throwing themselves upon the mercy of God. Uh, I was uh, thinking the other day about the third stanza of that old hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Remember that one? The third stanza goes like this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I always liked that. I was always attracted to that statement. Uh, Naked came to thee for dress. Helpless looked to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Uh, Jonah came to the end of himself. And he said, listen, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. I want to go back there and start again. I'm tired of wandering out here and doing my own thing. You see, when you're a Christian, God doesn't allow you to do your own thing because you're in his family. Before you were in the family of the devil, you could do what you wanted to do. But when God owns you and he has his stamp of ownership on you, you have to do what God wants you to do. And so in verse number 10, Jonah's deliverance comes, okay? Uh, here, the Lord commanded this fish to deposit the prophet safely on dry land. Presumably, it was in the land of Israel. Three days return journey. Lots of miracles in this book, the book of Jonah. Jonah's on his way back home. God's rescuing him. You know, whenever you think of Jonah and the whale, you think, oh, that's a catastrophe. Holy cow. I can't even imagine that. But it's God's way of saving him. God's way of saving him. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a catastrophe in your life. Maybe it's God's way to save you. Because I think if we could open up this service this morning in this church and just have a few good, honest testimonies about how you came to God, we'd hear quite a few stories of catastrophe. Can I have an amen? Sure. So Jonah's lost some precious time, but he learned a good lesson. God provided a way back. Chapter 3, Jonah is back. Over top of chapter 3, write this. Jonah runs with God. First of all, chapter 1, Jonah runs away from God. Chapter 2, Jonah runs to God. Chapter 3, Jonah runs with God. Now, this is the place where God wants to get all of us. Uh, He wants us to run with him. So let's look at him in chapter 3. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Remember I talked to you about second chances? Saying, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, that's familiar. You'll find the same phraseology in chapter 1. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, this time it's different. Jonah goes, yes, sir. (laughs) I remember the ship. (laughs) I don't want to ride like that anymore. I think your idea is a better idea than I have. So he says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now, remember in chapter 1, he arose and fled the presence of the Lord. This time he got up 
and he headed to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. That meant that it took three days. If you're walking through the town, it's taken you three days to get through it. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah is pronouncing judgment on Nineveh because of the sin of Nineveh. Now, we don't have very much at all to go on about what Jonah was preaching. But Jonah's heart, even though he went through this incredible rededication, his heart was still not exactly right with God. You might say, oh, man, that, that would scare the devil out of me <laughs> to take a ride like that. His heart was still not right with God. Actually, I'm going to give chapter 4 away to you today. Jonah at this time was still a reluctant prophet. He wasn't too eager. And so he's going through Nineveh, and this was his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And I think he said under his breath, I hope. I hope Nineveh is overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now this is certainly a surprise. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Wow, what kind of a demonstration is that? What kind of a leader of a country that you know of would respond to the word of God and said, Listen, we're going to repent of our sins. This is a wicked country. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. And this is his decree. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Wow, what a fast is that? But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Can you imagine the animals going around with sackcloth? And cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Turn from your sins. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that he may not perish? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Well... Jonah is back. He's running with God. Nineveh is on the verge of a revival because one man started over his life. One man started his life again, spiritually. Now, his type of behavior is not uncommon. You know, whenever God asks us to do something, our first intention all the time is not to do exactly as God says, is it? We kind of like negotiate and say, well, how about a partial deal, God? You know, maybe I could do part of what you want me to do. Um, well, Jonah here is offered a new beginning by God. And I believe that this is the way the Lord works in your life and my life. You know, he has a lot invested in you. And it's not a good thing for him to lose his investment that he has in you. And so uh, Jonah here is off on his mission. He's walking, he's preaching, and he's saying, 40 days, this town is going to be wiped out by God. 
And so start looking at the clock. The clock is ticking. Judgment is coming. And we do believe that he did call the town to repentance. And he was surprised by the extraordinary response. Jonah first repented and then they did. He was a living example of repentance. God was giving him a new chance in the ministry as a prophet. And so follow this line of thinking this morning. Jonah repents. The ruler of the city repents. The rest of the people in the town repent. Repentance has that effect. Whenever you repent, you know what that does? That shows people around you that God is real. And they start to say, you know, maybe I need to get right with God. They got right with God. Maybe I need to get right with God. And so one person repents, another person repents, another person repents. In this sense, the whole city repented. And they put on sackcloth, and that was an outward symbol of fasting. Uh, and, uh, and God backed away from, uh, from his threat. God backed away from it. Uh, he's done that a number of times in biblical times. Exodus 32, 14, So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people Israel. God decided not to carry out his threat. Exodus 32, 14. And you know, that harkens back the verse that we rely upon so often that goes like this. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we've claimed that many times, haven't we? That's how God works. Uh, the nation becomes corrupt. If the nation turns back to God, God says, okay, now I'm going to pour out my blessings again on you because you've recognized me. You've repented of your sins. But if they don't, judgment comes. Uh, I was reading a little uh, paragraph by Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher in England for many years ago. And he said, you know, if God would have called us to go to Nineveh, Nineveh was, according to John MacArthur, was about a town of a, a city of 600,000 comparable to Boston, Massachusetts. And if God would have called us to go, you or me, uh, to Boston, Massachusetts and preach, Spurgeon said, you know, we'd have had to divide the town up into missionary districts. We'd have to have a planning session. It would take thousands of able ministers, he said. Expenses would be incurred. Money would have to be raised. Preaching places would have to be erected. The machinery would become so cumbersome and um, it would become a monster. But uh, Spurgeon said God called one person. It is absolutely amazing what God can do through one person, man or woman, boy or girl. It is absolutely amazing. D.L. Moody said one time, it is yet to be seen what could happen by one person who is fully dedicated to God. I'll be that person. Well, a lot of times, you know, we come to church and we think, well, you know, I don't make a difference. I don't make much of a difference. I'm just kind of filling up space. 
I don't think that's right. I think the old worn out phrase is still true. You and God are a majority. You really are. And God can do great things through one person because the Bible is absolutely filled with those illustrations. Well, this conversion of the city of Nineveh was kind of short-lived according to history because it wasn't too many years later that God destroyed the city of Nineveh. He backed off in this situation because they all repented. But their repentance was short-lived. It was kind of like revival for a generation. But you know, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with revival for a generation? You and I are responsible for this generation. Not generations down the road, just this generation and that generation. And so if we're going to have an impact on this generation, we need to have a revival in our heart. And so Nineveh was spared for a short period of time, but just think of all those people, and chapter 4 will explain it to you, that are valuable to God. Um, and so they had their revival. These people were outwardly broken because of their sin, but they didn't have any long-range spiritual change. And sometimes that's the way revival works. You know that? Revival, you know, revival means to rise from the dead, to live again. And, and we all need that periodically in our life, but we need something more important than that. We need spiritual transformation on an everyday basis. Don't wait to, and don't look like the answer to your life is in a revival. Revival can get you started, but spiritual transformation keeps you going. The sailors, uh, they were touched by this reluctant prophet of God. And uh, God used him to touch their life. And now God is using this reluctant prophet to touch the life of this whole city. Uh, there's lots of lessons here. There really is. Um, what are they? Uh, Nineveh repents because of the sin. Uh, they turn from their sin because one man repented. There was a difference made. Uh, you just think about the, your circle of influence, the people you connect with. You know, their future, and I'm gonna, I have to lay this on you this morning, their future in a great respect is determined by your repentance. Because if you repent and get right with God, good chances are some of them will too. They will follow suit. If they see your life change, if they see you are the real deal, not just for a week or a month or six months, but you are a real deal for a long time, um, I, had, I know of a lady in our church and She's been a strong, strong Christian for a long, long time. And that's as good as you can get. You can't get any better than that. God laid upon her heart a family to invite to our church that was connected with some work that she was doing for the family. 
every time we'd have a musical presentation here at the church, she'd invite these people. They would not come. For three years, she would invite them to everything that she could think to invite them to. They would not come. She would not quit. She would not quit. She said, I'm going to get them to church. I'm going to be an example. But the bigger picture of that was the fact that she was a Christian example in front of them. So lo and behold, not too many weeks ago, into this church came these people that she would not quit on. She would not quit. And she said, well, you know, it kind of surprised me. <laughs> because, you know, when people turn you down so often, you just think, that's it, huh? Into this church, a, a number of weeks ago, these people came. She sat with these people in church. The week later, these people that she would not quit on both accepted Jesus as their Savior. And they were sitting in the first service this morning and have been ever since the first day they walked in. The thing that really touched them, I think she wore, I told her, I said, you wore them down. She said, I did. <laughs> I did. Uh, but the thing that enabled her and gave her the strength to wear them down was the fact of her strength as a Christian. She wasn't like this, you know, revival one day, up and down. She was like focused. She just kept focused. And her repentance and her spiritual growth caused the repentance in this family now. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to stop either. Because when God changes the lives of those people, they're going to change the lives of other people. That's what happened in Jonah's situation. Uh, God gives second chances. God uses weak people. A couple weeks from now, I'll, I'll talk to you about the last chapter. And you'll say, how did God ever use Jonah? He was... He wasn't the epitome of a prophet. You know, God just has to use what he has to use. That's it. He uses you. He uses me. Uh, he uses weak people. How many people this morning here in the church say that, you know, that's, that's me. I'm a weak person spiritually. At least I think I am. Would you raise your hand? I'm going to raise mine first to help you, to encourage you, okay? That's the kind of people that God uses. Because, you know, we get in our mind a lot of time, God has to have this perfect person. God has to have this, everything has to fit together. I'll tell you what, it didn't fit together in Jonah's life. Even after he preached to Nineveh, he didn't have his act together. And so God uses weak people. And, you, and you're sitting there today and you're saying, hey, that's me. Well, sign up. God wants to use you. He doesn't have to have anybody other than weak people. God gives second chances. And so here's Jonah. He's, uh, he's back. He's on the firing line. God's using him. He's not near a perfect person. He's just like you and just like me. 
God wants to use us. This is our generation. Let's stand up and if we need to rededicate ourselves, let's do it, okay? Let's come back. Let God put his hand upon us and say, yeah, I'll use you again. I'll use you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I wonder how many of us in the church feel like we need a second chance or, or a third chance. And God has quite a few of them available. Let me encourage you to, to rededicate your life to Christ. You might say, well, you know, I did that a couple years ago and things went good for a while. And Listen, don't think about a couple years ago. Think about the future of your life. Think about what God's doing in your life right now. Is he working in your life? Do you have a disaster going on? Well, come to God. Turn your life around. Get on the right track and start running with God rather than away from him. And see God work in your life. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the story of Jonah, how, how it so parallels our life. I just pray that you'll help us now as we apply these lessons. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And if there's something going on in your life that you need to come and pray about, or maybe, there's, maybe you have a friend and something's going on in their life and you just would like to come and pray about that today, would you come and just uh, let's, uh, let's start again, okay, as we sing. God bless you. Set my 
Just a minute, please. We have an announcement. As a child, I was often told the stories of old. A time when there was peace and innocence. A time when our kingdom followed the ways of our kind and generous king. But there's now a darkness fallen over the land. There is another on the rise. One who speaks with enticing and clever deception, leading thousands to their ultimate doom. Our kingdom is now divided, and we find ourselves at war. A war between good 